0: And if you're not a friend of the program, and this is your first time on the rodeo, then let me tell you this, you need to go to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and smash subscribe today because the OSP show is back.
1: This episode is brought to you by ArmorAll. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use ArmorAll to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit Armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall
2: Tap the banner or
0: visit this episode's page to learn more.
1: Hello, welcome to the Ringer F1 show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Megan Schuster. I will be your host today and we are here to discuss what the hell happened in the 2023 Australian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen wins after two uh, questionable red flag restarts, including one with just two laps to go. Lewis Hamilton finishes in second and Fernando Alonso in third, aided a bit by some much labored over FIA decision making, which we will get into. Um, After a number of accidents on the second red flag restart and a five-second penalty for Carlos Sainz, we rounded out the top ten with Lance Stroll in fourth, Sergio Perez in fifth, Lando Norris in sixth, Nico Hülkenberg seventh, Oscar Piastri eighth, Joe Guan Yu ninth and Yuki Sonoda tenth. This is the second race in a row that have has ended with some wild whims from both the FIA and the stewards at large. I have a number of questions. And joining me to get into all of it is spanners ready. Spanners, what in the world did we witness this wow. morning?
2: Well, first of all, I would like to say we we witnessed some extreme bravery from the European, but especially the British viewers, because I, you have no idea how difficult it was to have slightly inconvenient non-European <laughs> times. Once <laughs> I had such grand but, plans, Meg, because for us the practice session like FP1 on Friday and and FP3. Mm-hmm. On Saturday was 2 30 in the morning. And then uh, and then the race and the qualifying sessions were at like six in the morning for us. So hardly tragic, but I'm someone who likes to watch all the sessions and I I obsess over FP1. Like who Mm -hmm. I try and put some chops on it, who's looking good, who's adapting to the tires, who's sandbagging, and I try and build this mental map of the weekend. And also I spend that time kind of trying to learn the track. And so I missed, like a lot of the teams in those interchangeable conditions, I missed some of my viewer practice time. And I actually found Mm. that when it came to the race, I was like, hang on a minute. This track looks different.
1: Where's the chicane? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you were up at 6 a.m. I was up until 3 a.m. Nice. Good old central time in the United States. The race started at midnight for me. And I was expecting to be in bed, you know, around one thirty, maybe 2 at the latest. <laughs> and then with no. all of these red flags and restarts and ridiculous rulings, I did not get to sleep until 3 a.m. So thank you very much, FIA. I appreciate it. But it was
2: fun because honestly, I genuinely think the beginning of that Grand Prix was just as good as any typically good race weekend, there was excitement, there was drama, there was overtakes, there was loads of talking points. And then the race mm-hmm. kind of settled into a very kind of tactical race, which is very is not, not tactical in the sense of oh, who's going to do a pit strategy, who's going to undercut who, but it was more about the drivers kind of dicing it out on lap times. And this is why I say to people, right. always make sure you have the live timings up because it looked for a moment, you go, oh, Alonso's really closing the gap. He must be faster than Hamilton. But then you see, oh no, Hamilton responds, he's been doing 122s, now suddenly he can do a 120.4 and you go, ah, that's your clue that they were Mm -hmm. tyre saving. So there's these these mental gymnastics going on and you can see people like having a nibble, can we force Lewis Hamilton, they were saying on the Aston Martin team radio, can we force Lewis Hamilton into using his tyres? And the whole kind of tense strategy build up that kind of got, you know, made irrelevant in the end was, could could somebody (laughs) force someone else to have to make a second stop could somebody roll the dice make a second stop and then make everyone really question oh will these tires last to the end and and it was Mm -hmm. one of those really where the tires were probably a step too hard to make that a genuinely intriguing thing but it's it's still enjoyable nonetheless It's, it's really the core of what f1 has been in the pirelli era but then of course all the shenanigans kind of made all that irrelevant. Magnuson with his running over the curbs.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll get into all of the intra-race stuff because I agree that there is a lot to dissect there. A- at one point last night, I was telling my F1 group chat how disappointed I was by the Alex Albon red flag because we got... You know, everyone switched over to hard tires, and I thought that some of that gamesmanship might be lost. And then, lo and behold, uh, we get a nice break from Kevin Magnussen to just throw the entire race into chaos. But let's take this ending step by step, because I think every piece of this deserves a fair amount of examination. So this all starts with Magnussen hitting the wall out of turn two on lap (sighs) 54 of 58.
2: No, I don't think he did. I don't think he hit the wall. I, I think it was well, his, that, his
1: tire certainly did.
2: Yeah, no, it was a failure, I think, from running over the curbs repeatedly. And I think we all assumed it was from hitting the wall. But the, what I'm starting to see and I haven't seen footage of it is actually that it, he was repeatedly running over like a rumble curb and his tire just failed.
1: I, I thought I saw video of it hitting, hitting the wall. But, OK, but so, we, can, oh, we can delve back into so that.
2: So my source here is someone has transcribed Ted's notebook for me which I didn't see myself and said uh, (laughs) Magnuson was audibly hitting the ripple strip on the outside of turn two more than any other driver he obviously hit it one too many times the tyre exploded as it hit the ripple strip likely due to a failure of the outside rim the circular rim edge was thrown high over the fence and landed on spectators 10 metres in front of um, in front of that position so no injuries to any spectators thankfully but it looks like that was the, the cause of the failure rather than hitting a wall
1: Well, either way, his right rear wheel comes off. Car becomes undrivable because when you have three wheels, that is um, kind of an untenable situation. And the stewards hand down their second red flag of the race, they say, to properly clean debris off the track. There was seemingly a possibility where they just finished the race behind a safety car and everyone went home with their positioning because, you know, there's four laps remaining. Rather than take that tack, though, the FIA decided to red flag and do a standing restart with just two laps to go. Many drivers hop on the radio and strongly disagree with this. Max Verstappen, of course, because he was kind of a big loser in this situation. I think he had like a seven or eight second lead over Lewis Hamilton at that point. Fernando Alonso also comes on the radio and is upset. Um, Lando Norris gave some some strong quotes about this after the race. But what did you think of this? First of all, what did you think of this red flag decision?
2: Horrible. Um, so, firstly, <laughs> corre- correction to myself, that wasn't Ted's notebook. I beg your pardon. That was one of my podcast listeners, Tony, who had sent me that message. Okay. He was sat at turn two. So he actually saw the wheel coming over. Sorry, I, sorry Tony, I misread your message. Um, a horrible, horrible decision because to me, that is the essence of a competition red flag so you could kind of see the justification with albon early on he makes that uh, crash in the in sector two drags a ton of gravel across that whole mm-hmm. corner so you can see from race controls point of view that's going to take a long time to clean up and not only that but we've got a dodge in between the safety car so you've got this thing that does happen right. in formula one quite a lot when there's debris on the track they use the safety car to bunch up the cars they all go past the incident and then the very brave marshals, who should get paid money to do this, by the way, <laughs> all go, right, that's the last car. Everyone, run, run, run. Clear as much debris as you can. Then the safety car comes back round again. You stop, let the cars go through. So in this case, because there was so much gravel, it would have, in their opinion, I think, taken a long time to, to sweep it away. So they did a red flag. And I can understand mm-hmm. that. But with Magnussen, he pulled over in a safeish place. Right, It was recoverable. There was a wheel on track, but that was also recoverable. And it is my firm belief, and tell me if you think I'm being overly dramatic, but I've sensed this for the last five or six years now where safety cars have been easier to come by. And since Abu Dhabi, there has been this itchy kind of trigger finger over the red flag where they say, right, if there's a safety car that would naturally end over the end of the race, instead of having it normally and naturally end under the safety car, we throw a red flag and we have a two lap sprint like they did Mm -hmm. in Baku in 2021. And this did not need a red flag. They just didn't want to end it under the safety car. So this is a entertainment based decision. So you can argue whether you think that's right or wrong, but I think it's irrefutable that they said, no, we don't want to end under the safety car, red flag, two lap sprint. That's the position F1 has got itself in because, and I do think it's a bit of an American thing, Meg. I think, <laughs> you know, like you guys hate a draw. I think you guys hate finishing under the safety car. And, and this, mm-hmm. is, this is the position they're in now where it's, it's a horrible situation to have the safety car out at the end of the race. So for me, as a watching for 30 years in, from Europe, and bear in mind, we're a country that has test cricket that lasts for five days and is sometimes a draw. <laughs> to me, it's like, oh, there's a safety car near the end of the race. That's that's the end of the race. Good race. Thank you, everybody. I'm going to have a nap because mm-hmm. I've been up since five o'clock. Um, but no. So now they've got themselves in the situation where they have to do a ton of mental gymnastics to give a more satisfactory ending.
1: I, I think you're right in the entertainment purpose. And I one or two drivers I saw after the race actually kind of called that out as well saying, you know, Fernando Alonso, for instance, was saying that the track was fine, that there was a racing line that they could have followed the safety car through. I know Lewis had come on the radio while they were under the safety car and said, you know, there is still quite a bit of debris on track, which I don't know if that's any sort of gamesmanship from him to try and get a red flag to uh, close up the gap to Verstappen and, uh, you know, get him on a restart. But it, it did seem unnecessary to me and, and also risky, like, like not to get too um, you know, clutching my pearls over all of this, but we see in hindsight now, just what happened on the restart, all of the accidents that happen, all of the safety issues that happen when you, ha- you know, that you have two laps to go and all of the drivers are, you know, driving flat out to try and get that kind of final positioning. It can be very dangerous and very messy. And, um, we saw that play out. So that's sort of the danger of, of, you know, taking these entertainment purposes to their furthest degree. And yeah, I mean, we saw that like upon restart. So we can we can get into the restart, I guess. Verstappen and Lewis <laughs> got away fine, but then Carlos yeah. Sainz tagged Fernando Alonso, taking him out. Pierre Gasly seemed to sort of accidentally squeeze Esteban Ocon into the right barrier and the two crashed into each other, taking both Alvines out in uh, one swift movement. Logan Sargent hit Nick DeVries, which I didn't even realize until after the race was over because there was so much else happening that that did not register on my radar. And it also was not investigated by the stewards, which is another interesting fact that we can discuss. Lance Stroll went streaming off the track a bit later. Everything outside of the top two was, was basically chaos and needed to be red flagged again.
2: And that red flag was necessary. There was, 80, yes, 85 was <laughs> cards There was 85 cars off track. Uh, I, this is where I, I know people in the stewarding office uh, have a hard job. I know they have to make decisions quickly, but I, I think I'm going to make the case that it's, it, the punishments and the actions are based on the consequence of what that penalty would be, or the consequence that happened. So, for example, Logan Sargent not getting penalized. I didn't know that that was not. Uh, I didn't realize that that had been concluded, that there would be mm-hmm. no penalty. Like there, that there is no better case for just a, a straight up penalty. Logan Sargent, who's been, re- who's really impressed me. You know, I said to you at the beginning of the season, my yeah. my bar to be impressed by by him, given his family wealth, that's my working class <laughs> chip on my shoulder. That's my my issue is higher. But I have been impressed by him. I think he's done a, he's done a few really great things. His first ever compact, competitive lap in F one in Bahrain was just outstanding. But call this for what it was. This was a, a, yeah. an, an enormous balls up. He, he, he 11s down the track. He left a big 11s behind him. Locks up straight into <laughs> De Vries. That's a penalty. That's got yes. to be a penalty. That's got to be penalty points. But it's not really got an impact on the Grand Prix. So it looks like it's kind of been shuffled away. The next mm-hmm. two incidents have definitely been affected by what the outcomes of the penalty would be. So the Gasly-Ocon one, I cannot believe there's no further action. I cannot yes. believe there's no penalty. This is the most clear-cut case of penalty and penalty points. And and sort of verging on, but not quite. I don't want to get carried away. It's the sort of thing where you'd look at, is a race ban kind of necessary, particularly given his accumulated penalty points. So I believe if they'd given him penalty points, he would have been suspended for Baku. and that, He would have, yes. But ordinarily, that move, at the very minimum, is going to get pick up some driver penalty points. He'd gone off track. That happens. That's a lap one type thing, even though it was on the mm-hmm. restart. But it's essentially an unsafe rejoin. It is up to you to rejoin the track in a, in a safe way, which he didn't really do. His own teammate had to take more or less avoiding action, had to slow down mm-hmm. to, to make sure there was a gap to go right. Because I, I think he had an alpha Tauri on his right. So he had to slow down, make sure that car went so he could then go to the right all the way out to the wall and Gasly has rejoined and crossed the track left to right and taken his own <laughs> teammate out in, in a pretty big shunt. So, like, mm-hmm. so yes, you've had a, a rush of blood to the head, Pierre. Like Big Pierre Gasly fan. Definitely one of my favourites on the track. But that's bonkers to rejoin the track out of control and then slam your teammate into the wall on the opposite side of the track. That has to be a penalty. That has to be penalty points. And he's gotten away with it because it would have been inconvenient to do that and have him have a ban for Baku. That's my assertion.
1: Yes, so I, I believe you're allowed. Is correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's twelve penalty points. Twelve, yeah. What's your full calendar year yeah. Pierre, Pierre currently has ten. Yeah. So it, it seems yeah. like he he would have yep. missed Baku. So, that's a, so that's a that's a
2: nailed-on race ban.
1: Yes. Yes, exactly. So yeah, very tough for him. The only one who is penalized for any of this, interestingly enough, is is Carlos Sainz. Who receives a five-second penalty, and uh, the radio message of him hearing about that penalty will live rent-free in my head for for quite a long time. It ha- was haunted. so sad. He was pleading with his race engineer to let him plead his case to the FIA. He gave some very very spicy quotes after the race, saying, "I think he said something like this was the worst penalty I've ever seen in my life yeah, or hyper- in my hyper- racing hyper- career." Much. Which <laughs> I was like, you know. Throughout all the stops, Carlos, like, like, let's, let's dive into this. Um, so yeah, he ends up getting a five second penalty, which, you know, we can dig into all of that too, but that ends up dropping him after this, you know, new restart behind the safety car drops him down to 12th, which is last among the cars who actually finished the race. So very, very tough from him moving from what would have been third or fourth place, I guess to 12th. So, yeah. So after that other red flag, um, rather than go with the order of the cars post restart, the stewards decided that the drivers had not completed enough of a lap to be able to properly determine position. So they go back to the restart order previously. So Fernando Alonso, despite being tagged, his car is still drivable. So he gets to move back up to third. Carlos Sainz moves to fourth. And they complete one race lap, the final lap behind the safety car. No racing <laughs> allowed.
2: I know. Uh, you know, so all that, all that bother and all that effort to make sure that you don't have a boring finish under the safety car. And, <laughs> and what did it end up? You ended up finishing under the safety car, but it just cost like millions of pounds worth of damage. Um, do you mind if I yeah. just weigh in on the Carlos Sainz penalty?
1: Please, uh, please. So like, if, if
2: Sargent doesn't get a penalty for just right. steamrolling into into De Vries.
1: Mm-hmm. How
2: come mm-hmm. Carlos Sainz gets gets a penalty for what was quite an innocuous tag and a worse a, a, sorry a, a not as bad contact but the consequences mm-hmm. affected the podium or the consequences yep. affected Alonso if you want to be all conspiracy about it um because <laughs> look look it's it's um I think it's a famous phenomenon in sports that some teams have more influence over the umpires and referees than the other and there's sure. certainly like a superstar syndrome I think we talked about Michael Jordan being able to just do traveling throughout his career and hardly got called for it Manchester United in the 90s used to systematically take turns in sowing seeds of doubt in the referee's mind to, to make him then you know go oh well, well I have maybe I have done a lot of decisions against Manchester United <laughs> I'd I better I'd better balance that out and and I think Fernando Alonso and Aston Martin are really good at this. And I, I believe there's mm-hmm. a genuine kind of, oh, yeah, it's against Alonso it, or, or it's going to go a lot against Aston Martin. Like the, the front jack rule from uh, the last yep. Grand Prix. Like I'm I'm convinced now they've changed the rule so that if that happens again, they've clarified the rule, I beg your pardon, Yes. to say, look, yes. if you touch it with the jack, that's a penalty. So in, to my mm-hmm. mind, Aston Martin should have got a penalty. Their whole case right. was based on, well, you never penalised anyone else. So if you penalize us, we're gonna, you know, make a big deal out of it. Um, okay, mm-hmm. but it it was it was it was technically a foul. They they should have lost that that podium, in my opinion. And 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 here, it looks like you're penalized more for hitting Fernando Alonso than you are for hitting Nick Nick DeVries. Because if you actually Completely. look at the mechanics of it, it's the right hander, isn't it? It's um turn one. So Fernando Alonso is behind Lewis Hamilton and he's kind of having half an eye on a cutback but he's too far back but yep. he's, he doesn't follow in the in tyre the tracks of Lewis Hamilton who's far more over to the left. Carlos Sainz is taking a line as if Alonso is going to go all the way out to the, to the out wide and just keep a wheel on the track which Alonso isn't obliged to do. Those two worlds those two intentions don't correlate and it's just it's the slightest of touches and tags with a harmless spin that just mm-hmm. if that was on lap 20 Alonso loses five seconds and maybe a place or two. Yet that's a five second penalty and that in a safety car train drops him back all the way out the point. Carlos Sainz was, was right to feel that aggrieved and to want to state his case. And I don't know if you noticed, but when they showed him talking on the team radio, he was doing a lot of Italian hand gestures, and it was very much that I think if you can visualise what I'm doing now, I've got my thumb pressed into my four fingers and that like kind of pleading behaviour. Go and watch the replay of signs in the pits, asking them to review the penalty, and it's like he's communicating visually to his Italian engineers. Um, and I can, I can completely see the case, and I just think the stewarding is a little bit emotional at the moment, and it's a little bit based on consequences of a how how what what impact on the race did that action have, not how. Reckless or careless was that action, and what will be the consequences of actioning that? And I I just, I just feel at the moment like Alonso and Aston Martin have done a great job of getting in the officials' heads. And I I guess from a sporting point of view, if that was my team, I'd want everyone in my team to do that. I would pursue that. It's not a criticism, but I just, I wish the the stewarding was a little bit more black and white.
1: I agree. I. It is funny to me that you know, like you're saying, Carlos is definitely penalized because of the results of this incident and whether the FIA believes that, you know, this is what started the whole string of accidents or whatever, who knows. But it is funny that he's being penalized for results when the results of that lap ended up not really mattering. I mean, the accidents for sure did. But then when you go and you restart behind a safety car from the previous positioning, you're almost taking that lap and saying that it didn't count and didn't matter. And yet Carlos is going to get a penalty for a lap that didn't count and didn't matter. It's, it's, it's really wonderful. And I, I agree with you on, on everything with the FIA. I have a, theory in my head when it comes to officiating, and this is primarily for US-based sports, basketball, football, whatever, (laughs) that if you are an official and a casual fan knows your name, you are not doing your job well. Because if if you're an official, no one should see you. No one should have any sort of intrigue over you. You should go out there and do your job and not have any sort of question over what you're doing, what kind of biases you may have, X, Y, and Z. Like, if you look at the NBA, every official's name that I know is because they have sort of beef with a player or some long-standing history where they don't get along with a team or whatever. And the FIA made itself like a main character today. It made itself a main yeah. character in Saudi Arabia, and it's it's very yeah. frustrating for fans of Formula One who would like the FIA to just go out there and do their job on a regular basis and not make this all horribly dramatic all of the time.
2: What would you have done, your race control, Meg? Your race control. And that all those smashes happen on a restart with only, that would have been two more racing laps, I think, if they'd have completed that lap. Um, so, so I think the, the lap with all the crashes counted as a lap. but Yes. But the order and all the things that happened didn't count. Did
1: not count. But no.
2: Carlos Sainz's <laughs> penalty did happen and did count and was a penalty. Yes. Yes. But yet yeah, the situation ended up again, Alonso gets back his podium. So I was very confused by that so, so if if mm-hmm. um if the race wasn't going to restart if it was a, the a race ending incident or the rain was coming down so hard they were never going to restart or they ran out of time then I, I think the rule is you go okay stop the race count back two complete laps and take that result and, and that's how you would decide okay. who is the winner so you would just have an incomplete race but because there was technically one racing lap left so the formation lap was the third from last lap the lap with all the mm-hmm. crashes was to say the penultimate lap and then the, yep. the formation lap they did to take the chequered flag, that was actually the last racing lap. So they, they couldn't do like a normal countback. It just seemed like they went, okay, well, we don't know what the order is going to be. So we need to just take the last order that we can be really, really sure about. But to me, it doesn't make any sense because all that racing happened. Sergio Perez right. lost right. his fifth place. He went off track and, and, and he lost mm-hmm. a bunch of places. Lance Stroll won a bunch of places, then stuffed it on his own and lost it into turn three. But like all mm-hmm. those things, all those things happened. And the consequences of the Alpine result, because they couldn't start again, those things happened. So I'm not right. a fan from a continuity point of view. I'm not a fan that all of that was just for nothing. I, I would much prefer, obviously the rule is because they didn't complete sector one or something, that's yep. why those results can't, can't, um, can't count. But to me, that leaves the system open to abuse. So if you're the race director, and I'm not suggesting any bias here whatsoever, I'm just, if I was the race director, I have bias. So I would be tempted mm-hmm. to, I'm a Sergio Perez fan. So if Perez got tagged by signs, I go, right, throw the red flag immediately. That means, no, 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 I didn't hear anything. I didn't see anything. None of that happened. Go mm-hmm. back to the order. It's, it's like a do-over for my favorite driver. But what if I if, if Perez made up four places? And I like that. And I go, right. okay, for safety double waved yellow flag, full course or full course yellow. See, I can translate for American. I can translate into Oval. Full course <laughs> yellow. Everyone's already through the accident area. So as race control, mm-hmm. you've now got time. F- uh, full yellow means no one's racing, there'll be no further incidents. That's fine. You've got until they get back to the front, all the way back to the next line. So you've got time to go, okay, that's more than a f- full course yellow. This will definitely be a safety car. So deploy the safety car to the end of the pit lane and at the very least we're going to pick the leaders up and you'll be going through that debris under the safety car. And mm-hmm. then you can get to sector three and you can go, do you know what? That, all of that's going to take a long time to clear up. This, this does need to be a, a red flag because we need to fix the barrier. So you take your time for a red flag and no, look, now Perez is in P4 instead of having been tagged by signs and he's out. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand how, kind of, how that system is in place. It's very confusing. And like I say, open to a lot of interpretation, open to like a a bit of blind luck. Do they take the approach of immediate red flag, let's call it, or do they say, full course yellow, be safe. Okay, safety car. No, no, that's a a red flag. Two completely different results from two very similar approaches to safety. So uh, to me, I think just say if there's something like that, obviously the full course yellow goes on. You have to acknowledge, I think, what's happened on the track. Those things didn't Mm -hmm. not happen. You can't erase Sonoda jumping up to fifth place and and avoiding the alpines and making the best out of all of that and to me that's that just that took a little bit of the magic away. It's like someone just hit reset and went to a a, a save point on the computer game and I didn't like it.
1: This episode is brought to you by ArmorAll. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use ArmorAll to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit Armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall. Yeah, you can't have it both ways. You can't send everyone out on a red car or on a red flag restart, and then count the lap, and then say that it didn't count, and then apply a penalty to a lap that didn't count, and then not penalize Logan Sargent because it didn't matter. On a, oh nice no. you know, uh, like it, it's just it's all over the place. And, and like you're saying with the dumb luck thing, I mean that was happening all over with with Stewart decisions up and down today. The with you yeah. know, with the Albon. Red flag and, you know, like George Russell losing out on that, pitting during a safety car with the Magnuson red flag. I mean, it was just like, it was questionable all over the place. It wasn't even just, you know, how they decided to ultimately end the race. It was sort of every decision that they made this week. And, and I think that's something that they're really going to have to figure out over these next few weeks without a race because, They need to have this sorted out before we get to Baku because this is becoming way too big of a storyline for a season that would be really, really intriguing otherwise.
2: They've got themselves into such a huge mess just because they're not willing to finish under a safety car. And just, Mm -hmm. just, just change the expectation and go, if your whole race, if your whole product is dependent on just the last lap being super exciting with David Croft screaming at last lap overtakes. If you're relying all on that, then you've got a weak product. Just enjoy Mm -hmm. the race as it is. Work on, you know, they're suggesting changes to the format uh, over a sprint weekend, not all of which are terrible. If that's what you want to do, do that. I prefer that they had a much stronger support series so the whole weekend is just like this rich festival of, of motorsport. It doesn't have to come down to the last lap. Make the cars race closer. Strip off the front wing and back wing. Yeah, take away the aerodynamics. (laughs) If you want to make it close racing, make it close racing. If you want to take away, uh, reduce the cost cap, increase the amount of spec parts that are the same across the whole grid. Increase the spectacle that way. Don't have this strange obsession with the last lap of every race being mega Mm -hmm. exciting. Sometimes a car is going to work its way through the field like, like Verstappen did today. From third up to first place, he's got that in the bag, he's done the work, there's a late accident, the safety car comes out, well done. That's just like the checkered flag being waved a couple of laps uh, earlier. It, it didn't make a difference. Are we so... I don't want to gatekeep. If, if you want to enjoy F1, enjoy F1 in the way you want to enjoy it. But this kind of, this kind of desperation to make every final lap Abu Dhabi 2021 is going to ruin it as a sporting spectacle because there was so much good sporting things happening between the drivers all throughout that race for all those tactics for all the tire saving for all the the jostling between alonso and lewis hamilton the the fighting of the trying to get him to do a second stop all comes down to a two-lap lottery if that yep. if that was once a season fine but that is going to be like race director crack as soon as as soon as you see a, a, an accident in the last few laps, they're going to go num 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 num. I can do my red flag. <laughs> my bosses will be happy with me. Two lap sprint. Um, it, it's a, it's a. To me, it feels like a cheap tactic. It's a bad investment in the sport. So it, yes, you pay now. It pays off now because you get that 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 cheap excitement. But the overall health of the sport gets impacted. is, yeah. that, is that too passionate? It's, it's like- is that too ranty, Meg? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I love it. And and it's like what Lando Norris said after the race. He was saying it's so frustrating when you can run 55 or 56 great laps in a yeah. race and have it all yeah. be erased by one decision in the final two laps. And, and we saw that happen with,
0: yeah. you know, just
1: taking Pierre Gasly, for instance, he was running, I think, in P5 uh, when the restart yeah. happened. Now he gets zero points and, you know, was about to have his First really, really solid race in an alpine, and that is you know completely nullified now, albeit you know kind of by his own mistake, but it he didn't help it, it is it didn't help no um just some small other notes that I wanted to hit on from the restart before we can kind of dive into some of the actual race, which I oh, would yeah. like to discuss. Max Verstappen escapes a penalty on the restart, which was a thing that was floating around on Twitter. if you have seen the screenshots of his yes I have. his restart positioning. He was, you know, fairly far out over the over the white line in front. The FIA apparently looked at this and decided that the contact patch of his tire was still on the white line, was not over the white line, which is where a penalty would come into play. So they did look at it. They decided that a penalty was not warranted there. Um, so just, you know... <laughs> It was not completely ignored, although I, I do believe they looked at it after the race, which was interesting. Bit, hum- um, bit
2: humbling as a as a fan from the 80s where I looked at that and went,
1: yeah, look at that. he has gone way over. Of course, that's a
2: penalty. Oh, my God, he's going to get a penalty. Hamilton's going to win this race. So I mm-hmm. I've just spent all this time thinking the front wing had to be behind the box because there's a yellow line where the yeah. front tires line up. So I just thought, oh, you have to line the tires up there, front wing behind the line, and there would be a sensor there that would detect... Mm-hmm whether or not you were over had no idea had no idea it was the actual tyre so he actually did a bit of a, a false start and so he moved forward early and i don't yep. i don't even think it was one of the like bottas did where he got he got into gear early and it jumped forward um i think this was a, he actually went to start realized he jumped start and stopped it just in time so like maybe another couple of centimetres over that's a proper jump start and he's lost that race mm-hmm. so he was a lucky boy today um that was that was cutting it way way too fine but no I think, you know, the, the media and the team bosses and everyone who were interviewed got it right. That, that, mm-hmm. is, that isn't a penalty. There's, there's nothing to see here. And people share all sorts of screenshots on Twitter. Like there was an overhead <laughs> shot that's not quite on top. It was from behind. So with the parallax, yeah, all day long, it looked sure. like it was over, but it was sure. from yeah. <laughs> it was from behind. Uh, but you know, this, this will happen when, you know, someone's really dominant in a dominant car. You'll look for mm-hmm. something to, to, to spice it up. Um, but i think actually verstappen was was a lucky boy in general like he is a great driver and when he wins in the in a massively advantageous car i do try to look for well what's the things he did well to contribute to this car and and that's even beyond when you talk about contributing to the the design of the car and people building it around his style and his consistency giving the engineers something to work with but and I'm going to say this because, oh gosh, uh, email me, uh, Megan at Ringer, whatever your email. <laughs> Verstappen was a bit rubbish today. I'm I'm just going to say it, Megan. He was. He was a little was. bit rubbish today. And that car absolutely carried him to the victory. And on reflection, perhaps that uh, that qualifying, maybe Mercedes didn't make a huge leap to Red Bull, given his performance in the race. Maybe he was just a bit off in qualifying as well. Two terrible starts, was out-muscled fairly, by the way. We can discuss that if you want. Yep. By Lewis Hamilton, and just the sheer pace of the car just you know brought him back up to the front. But yeah, I think he's um I think he's been a very lucky a lucky kid today.
1: Well, and he had that one incident too when he was out running by himself. I think he oh, was yes. like ten seconds of ahead, course. and he just yes. drove through the grass for for no apparent reason, and yeah. then had to spend you know a good chunk of a lap weaving in and out to try and get grass off of his exactly. tires, and, and that- lost him. Four seconds or so. Um, that that yeah, would varies. cost you the
2: win in in a lot of seasons and in a lot of close yeah. competition. So you'd have to be really far ahead to make that happen. So I think, yeah, generally, I think he probably didn't have a competitive pace. He he had two bad starts. Uh, like I said, his wheel-to-wheel was just off today. And he, he wasn't consistent going around and, and, and made a, pota- a potentially race losing mistake in the penultimate corner um so i think you just have to acknowledge that sometimes everyone's going to have an off day and and this was an off weekend for max verstappen 25 points though
1: yeah it's funny when you can make those mistakes and it doesn't matter because your car is so excellent
2: before you get upset with me there's plenty of times he's wrestled uh not the best car for a win that wasn't that wasn't
1: this weekend though we are, we are not calling Max Verstappen a bad driver. We just said that he did not have the best race of his life no, this do you know weekend, what? We're I'd...
2: living in fear, Meg. Let's just double down. <laughs> Verstappen was shocking. No. No. Just you know, just a little bit not quite as Verstappen as um, as he normally is. But yeah, and it was mm-hmm. it was strange him getting so upset at Lewis Hamilton for for that overtake because there was two factors there. Yes. A, that is a very classic Verstappen move. So I did find it odd for him to go, "Oh, well the rules say" that you're not allowed to do that now. No, Max, you've never been able to just drive people off track <laughs> like you did uh, over and over again. But yes, they did clamp down on it and clarify it. And, and, and secondly, Hamilton didn't actually do that. There was room for, mis- for Verstappen to keep two wheels on the track. Um, he'd have yep. had his left wheels would have been, you know, on the curb, uh, but safe. And I think I, I don't see any version of that where, where really it really leads to an accident. Because if you, if you go back and look at the overheads, actually Hamilton left more room than Verstappen used. So Verstappen could have had another third, another half a car length and stayed on. Um, so it was interesting psychologically for him to feel like he was sort of pushed off there and to feel so aggrieved when he had a car that could breeze by, I think on the, the, on the long back straight and, uh, and overtake with DRS about halfway down the straight have that move done. And by the end of the race, the thing he's still thinking about is I got hustled. Or maybe it's a pride thing. Maybe it's, well, it it can't be that I just got beaten by Hamilton, I guess, maybe.
1: I, I, I think a lot of it is the fact that it's Lewis. I think Max is still carrying a big chip from their championship battle in 2021. And, you know, all of the sort of fair criticisms over everything that happened in Abu Dhabi and people questioning and kind of giving his championship an asterisk in that way. I think... He is uh, probably a little sensitive. I I would be curious if he got on the radio and complained about that, if it was anyone else. He also kind of, you know, I think it was the first lap of the race when he and uh, George Russell went side by side and he kind of like just let George go through rather than really getting his elbows out like he might have in the past, which I think was smart on his part, knowing that he had the pace that George didn't. but. But it was just interesting to, to see that comparison. I know,
2: but Hamilton's not immune to it either. Did, th- there was reported that he That's said, true. I'm not losing out to him, referring to mm-hmm. Fernando Alonso. And Alonso yeah. has been needling Hamilton in the press relentlessly. Mm-hmm. Yet, yet when they're in the greenout room, you would never know it. They were acting like nope. old buddies. But when they're head down in the with the the visor down, they've really, really got some beef going on. But it could be one of those things where it's a sporting beef and like genuinely as humans, they're fine with each other. But when it comes to a racing rivalry, (laughs) it's amazing that that is the shadow of 2007 here being fought for again in a podium in 2023. Uh, I can't do maths. 16 years later and you can still Mm -hmm. feel their McLaren partnership boiling up to the surface.
1: It's amazing. I, I hope it never goes away. I, I love all of the beef. <laughs> Two other really small notes from the restart. Hulkenberg and Haas formally protested the reordering of the final race restart. Hulkenberg had been in fourth after all of the accidents. Protest was thrown out, so just wanted to acknowledge that. And an even smaller thing is that because of the Carlos Sainz penalty, we lost out on Yuki Sonoda finishing 11th for the fourth race in, the, in a row, which would have just been uh, stunning and and, and uh. wild and wonderful and and... You know, happy for him that he got a point, but sad for us that you know we missed out on that street. Well,
2: I well, I maintain it should have been fifth because I I think he ended that lap fifth. He earned that mm-hmm. fifth. He didn't crash into his teammate. He didn't lock up and crash into <laughs> DeFries. He didn't go off track and lose five places. He didn't tag Fernando Alonso. That he's fifth, and then it was like no, yeah. no, do over, do over, put Alonso back in third. <laughs> Haas is protesting it. No, that would. Put Alonso not in third. I'll take my yeah. silver tinfoil hat off now. But it, look, I, I, I it. do think that Alonso and Aston Martin have got the rub of the green over these last two races. When it's come to decisions, I will be interested to see if that continues.
1: I will as well. Okay, let's get into the actual race because there's a lot to talk about. We <laughs> oh, talk yeah. about Max. <laughs> we haven't gone to the already. Race. Max, we've already covered. But Checo had a had a good drive today, uh, made it up to the top five despite starting from the pit lane after a very, very bad qualifying session, some um car changes. Um was was good to see him kind of making his way through the field and and being the quickest car on track for for quite a bit of the race. Mercedes. I, I, I know you have some thoughts on Mercedes. Lewis finishes second, George. Had pace to do well, but got kind of screwed over by the safety car versus red flag issues. Um, I think believe that dropped him down to seventh when he went in. For a tire change on the safety car. And then he also had some just very unlucky reliability issues that tossed him out of the race in the middle of it. But what are your thoughts on on Mercedes overall and, and the progress that they've made?
2: Oh, so last time I was on, I did my big kind of hey, look, I told you Mercedes would be in second place very quickly. And then Alonso mm-hmm. got his podium restored and we looked yeah. instantly stupid. But that is because we record this show quickly, because we're hard workers. We do. We're proficient. And if your podcast that you listen to, if any other podcast you listen to got it right, it's because they were lazy and they didn't record quickly. Um, <laughs> I, I still stand by, I still stand by my pre-season predictions where, yeah, Red Bull mm-hmm. looks strong, but I, I had placed Mercedes to be, you know, the second team. I think the only, the only place I'm really getting it wrong is I didn't predict how quickly Ferrari would kind of fall back. So I think, I think Aston <sighs> Martin have got a chance of being the third fastest car overall. If you just look at the progress over three races, I I think it's, it's now no longer a crazy just thing that some mad Brit is saying in a shed that Mercedes will be the second best team. I I think you can see that progress happening. I would be really Mm -hmm. surprised if by mid season Mercedes aren't firmly the second fastest uh, car or better week in week out. The caution to that is Australia tends to be in a little bit of a bubble performance wise so when it used to be mm-hmm. the opening race of the season you would see all sorts of mad results from australia and you'd go oh my goodness Menardi look really strong this year and it would just be down to the track specific characteristics and of course um because they've moved it to not be the first race it's now in a little bit of a, a different season in melbourne where it's cooler mm-hmm. temperatures you've got a bit of dampness in the air and, and perhaps that, that might have aided Mercedes a bit. So I'm still happy with my prediction that, that Mercedes will, will come out on top of that battle for second place. With the caution that I do think the conditions and how they interacted with the tyres meant that I think that they, were str- they weren't struggling, say, in the way Verstappen was struggling, getting temperature in the tyres. And I think if you I don't want to nerd out too much, but if you look into the mechanics of that qualifying session, which was strange in that it wasn't the first push lap that was the fastest lap. You were seeing them do all kinds of things. You were seeing them have a a push lap, then a cool down lap, and then another push lap. And I think most teams were doing their fastest lap on like their third or fourth lap, or Mm. they do a push lap, a cool down lap, and then third or fourth lap would be their fast lap. Mercedes was going Mm -hmm. for the second lap. So maybe that just showed that they were switching the tyres on better in these conditions where in different conditions that might have been a, a disadvantage and they go out the other side of the tyre window. But yeah, it looked it looked good. It did look good. I, I mean, I can at least claim mm-hmm. partial redemption for my failed incorrect rant from last week.
1: <laughs> you can, I'll allow it. Alonso too, after the race had said, you know, he was kind of toying with Lewis a bit running in third behind him for most of the race. He'd, you know, kind of inch up to almost within a second. Lewis would hop on the radio, panicked saying, oh, you know, these guys are so quick behind me. And then Alonzo would be quick to drop back. And it was a lot of gamesmanship, like you were saying, you know, toying with them, trying to basically yeah. get Lewis to do a panic pit stop, which he seemed close to wanting to do at yeah.
2: once. Oh, um, the, the, pit, then, the pit wall definitely talked him down off of that. Yes, Hamilton always and, and, wants to be on the new soft, fast tire.
1: Hmm. And it was interesting too, because when you would look at when Alonzo was creeping up, it was when Carlos Sainz was creeping up on him from behind too. So, you know, lots of, lots of, uh, on track stuff going on there too. But Fernando did say after the race that he truly just didn't have the pace to, to actually challenge Lewis today, which mm. I thought was interesting and definitely notable for Mercedes going forward that hopefully they can, you know, continue yeah. to make upgrades and, and keep this going. And, you know obviously an uncharacteristic reliability issue with George today that I wouldn't be worried about moving forward. I think Mercedes yeah. is typically pretty good at making sure that stuff doesn't repeat itself. It's so. not
2: supposed to be on fire, and it was.
1: But didn't it look cool? It looked,
2: <laughs> it looked like a jet afterburner. So that should be making the car faster. Why Why isn't it? <laughs> um, I don't think the Russell strategy would have worked, by the way. I think there was, um, there was a, a safety car. Was it an early safety car, lap eight, that he got kind yes. of a free pit stop? It, it was, yeah.
1: It was the Albon the safety Albon car one. before yeah. they red flagged. So,
2: so yes. he sees that yes. as an opportunity to go right. I'm going to go uh, in, and then I can last the whole race, not yep. change my tires. And then when, and then the idea is, when everyone ahead pits, he ends up ahead. Yeah. A little bit of a problem with that though was because if if you can make the whole race on your hard tires from lap eight, that means your opponents' tires aren't going to be wearing particularly quickly either. And it means mm-hmm. after eight laps, there was no one there struggling. With, with their tyres. They were, they were all fine. They were all reasonably happy. For Russell to make that, his way through that traffic, assuming he could, because ahead of him, mm-hmm. I think, was at least one Aston Martin, uh, a Ferrari and Gasly. By the time he would got through them, it was fairly likely that Hamilton and Verstappen and perhaps Alonso would be a pit stop ahead. And when they did finally pit, even if they came out behind Russell, it would be on brand new hards compared right. to his... 20-year-old hard. So I didn't see that tactic working. I think that was a little bit, that was a little bit premature, but I, I, I'm gutted that we didn't get to see that play out because those kind of things are always fascinating. But I'm also mm-hmm. gutted that we didn't get to... I'm, I'm gutted that that safety car happened and we didn't get to see more of Hamilton pushing Russell because, again, mm-hmm. the psychology of Russell saying, why am I being pushed by my own teammate <laughs> when I'm trying to save tyres? Because, George Russell, you are fighting for first place in a top battle with two world champions behind you. Oh, and another one just out of the podium positions behind you as well. And, and they're very <laughs> on intent on being where you are. So for him to claim that Hamilton was in any way doing anything wrong by pushing forward and racing him, did he really think that Lewis Hamilton, seven-time world champion, was going to be his rear gunner fighting off Max Verstappen? <laughs> Hamilton's priority is to get, get away and not have Max Verstappen in his ring, wing mirrors and get ahead of Russell. I don't think there's any legitimate reason for him to think that Hamilton wasn't going to do that. No. Ha- ha- Hamilton, on a first stint, that is one of his specialities. Is just keeping these tyres in a window without using them up. And then the second he senses he's got a tyre advantage, going on the attack. That is something he has done for the last seven or eight years really effectively. Not worried too much about qualifying because he knows he's got that hunting shark instinct in in, uh, in sector one. So... I am going to call a little bit of BS and say that Russell sensed he was going to lose out on that battle, and that was politics over the radio again, two times in a row.
1: Also, didn't that message come on like the second or third lap? <laughs> like it, it was, it was so early. I was like, how yeah. are you already complaining I about know. saving of your tires when race. you're on lap of three? Like, it's <laughs> it was, yeah, it was amazing. I I also found it very funny when you know after George pitted during the safety car, when Lewis came on the radio and was like wow, you know, you guys really fucked me with this strategy and and now I'm, I'm going to lose out. And yeah. he, he clearly has some, some PTSD with all of the safety car stuff when it ended up actually working out really well. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. That argument lasted precisely like about, about a minute, <laughs> didn't it? And then the red flag came out and yes, it's like, oh, you've yes. just got a free pit stop. So you can, you can just wind your neck in right now. Cause that was, it was, it was um, pretty great. That was a massive, that was a massive slice of luck. Yeah.
1: Yes. McLaren. What a day for them. <laughs> I was very, actually very impressed with Lando. And, and I don't like to, you know, give false praise to McLaren or anything here, but I, I thought Lando drove really well. His his battle with Checo in the middle of the race, I thought was, was really wonderful, <clears throat> even if he was instructed to not really fight him. All of his competitive energy kind of came out in, in that fight, and he did a good job holding him off for as long as he could. I... Yeah, was was really happy for him. I know they've they've really struggled to this point in the season, but he, I believe, finished in six. Oth- Oscar Piastri got his first F1 points at his home race. Um, potentially a sign of things to come, maybe, with their upgrade plan for Baku. I, I don't want to get out over my skis here and be too optimistic, but I, 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 I was... I was happy for that. I think
2: you've answered your own question there with the maybe, kinda, perhaps. <laughs> was it okay? Are we? Uh, we mustn't be careful of damning with faint praise, and we mustn't get into the trap I do with <laughs> my kids, where like you know, they'll draw a picture and I'll be like, "That's," and I'm not really paying attention. I'll go, "That's wonderful, honey. We should put that on the fridge." And they're like, "Dad, you're pa- you're patronising <laughs> me." So let's not patronise McLaren. Uh, 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 you can you can definitely look at some some positives in that. Yeah, Norris was able to just. Not really do anything drastic, but just by keeping his car in the right place, not getting phased by Perez coming up behind him, was able to hold him off. And actually, that, there was a core pace where I think you say he was only about half a second slower than Perez, which meant that, you know, it, it took mm-hmm. Perez a little bit of time to get up there and he didn't have quite the delta to make it an, an easy pass. So I would say by the, the very low standard that you seem to have set for McLaren, it was yes. fine.
1: My my standards for them are extremely low right now. So so seeing Lando finish sixth was a was a highlight for me, for sure. Would have been a solid day for Alpine if they were able to finish <laughs> the race. <Ugh. laughs> it would have been nice. I, I keep waiting for them to emerge as as sort of the uh the primary team from the midfield, and it just has not has yet to happen. Um, but it was good to see their car have some pace today. I think at points Gasly and the pack behind yeah. him were, were largely matching, if not sort of creeping up on Fernando Alonso and the Aston Martin, mm-hmm. which was impressive, especially down the straights. So it was nice to see that car actually kind of live up to some of its potential, even if the, the results were not what you would want.
2: So to poo-poo that slightly, I, no, not really, mm-hmm. but okay. So Hamilton and Alonso were, were really clearly managing and they were only trading off on each, each other. Um, Signs perhaps was in that, that same kind of zone. And it, it flattered the Alpine and the Haas. So yes, the, 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 yes. give, the giveaway was kind of that the Haas was doing 122s in that train. And that is what Hamilton and Alonso were doing as well. Yet when they needed to, you go, oh, here's a 20.4, just out of the bag mm-hmm. on 30-year-old tires. So it flattered a, a little bit. And that's, that's quite a street circuit characteristic. So that does tend, sure. t- tend to happen. But again, I, I mean, yeah, Alpine. You mean not Renault? Definitely not Renault. It's not Renault struggling <laughs> to be up with the other works teams, is it? Um, mm-hmm. I, I still think that, yeah, pound for pound, it's the most disappointing outfit on the grid by, by yeah. a long way because they should be up there with the, the top three, no questions. So, yeah, again, if you want to say, well, there's a little bit of progress, um, it's good for Gasly to be up there in a new team seemingly on pace and, and I think um, Ocon was, uh, was unlucky in qualifying but um, my memory yep. might be failing me a little bit um, but, oh he was in traffic that's right he, he got held up in traffic Yeah. so mm-hmm. they've, they've got two talented drivers Gasly's on the pace quickly in their midfield battle it bodes sort of well but they look a long way off Ferrari Aston Mercedes and that's got to be the aim for them if they finish a solid fifth this season who cares like honestly who cares yeah. that's Renault yeah, That's one of the biggest car manufacturers in the world. And there's even a cost cap, So that don't impress me much.
1: I am sad that this is the last we will see of the pink car this year. Oh, I hate I, that pink. I'll...
2: I can't stand that <gasps> BW pink. I'd, How dare you? If it was hot pink, it. at my wedding, I wore a hot pink cravat. I don't mind a bit of pink. Oh. But that dull, faded pink, that looks to me like the red paint of my old Ford Sierra that I left out in the sunlight and it got all kind of... <laughs> sun-kissed and pinky. No, I don't like it. So back to blue.
1: I I do think they could improve upon the pink color, but I I like when a car, when a team is willing to take a chance on the color of a car (laughs) and not just go with a red, a blue or a white. Yeah. And and,
2: and if you're getting money from a a water company, why not?
1: Yeah, sure. Might as well. (laughs) Um, Last team that I really wanted to dig dig into and maybe you have some others is uh, our good friends at Ferrari. I looked this up before we got on the call today charles is currently 10th in the driver's standings he has six points he is behind lando norris and tied with nico hulkenberg after three races if i had told you that before this season what would you have believed me no because this is meant
2: to be the season that he's 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 had his lewis hamilton 20 was it 2011 where hamilton just went off the rails and was making lots of mistakes and hitting felipe massa every other race like he was meant to have gone through that he's meant to have gone through the i am stupid phase where he was berating himself mm-hmm. and i think like he's such a likable character and such a good racer that you go right this is where you need to settle in and be a pro i know it's not going well maximize what you've got show us what you can do yep. now show us that you're a world champion in waiting you just don't have the car this year and that move today was really like look at me in a shed going oh yeah at 200 miles an hour i wouldn't have made that decision <laughs> but he he this is what kills me with the the stroll pass that didn't come off is it it, it wasn't anything stroll was doing wrong it wasn't nope. a, it wasn't a lunge nope. from stroll in fact leclerc was just a behind and he just gambled too much on the braking and and and, sign, and stroll was always there and in fact mm-hmm. stroll probably slowed up just enough to kind of make sure that he could make the corner and leave racing room having spotted having used his mirrors for once and actually adjusted <laughs> What Leclerc was doing, and Leclerc just cut across him as if Stroll was going to bail out of that, and it was just never Mm going to happen. So you have to go, yeah, that's you've got to chalk that down to Leclerc. He threw that one away. Obviously, the first DNF is was not his fault. The seventh was it in Saudi, just just due to just generally underwhelming pace, you know. But that's all on him. He's he's thrown away probably fifteen points, twelve points today, and I don't know what difference that's going to make at the end the end of the championship, but you go, yeah, that's all on him and that's so disappointing. And then from the signs side, you Mm -hmm. go, well, I still feel like Leclerc's a clear number one driver at Ferrari. So what you've done with that mistake, not only have you cost yourself points, you've cost your team who have have put their faith in you pretty much as their number one driver for the last four or five years, gave them a a five-year contract, the longest contract ever or something at Ferrari. They put all that faith in you and you've left them with the other car that's a very good driver as well, but they haven't put that same resource, emotional investment, and perhaps design emphasis on mm-hmm. to to go out there and and fight and be struggling to to challenge the the Alpines. So yeah, he's probably got to look at that and go back to the team and just go, my bad. I, I need to refocus.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a, tra- a tragic day for Charles for sure. And for Carlos and, and the team as a whole, like you, you expect going into this race to be competitive, to be earning points, and to have your last hope at points ripped away on that red flag restart is, is just really boneheaded, really rough. Yeah. Really, I, I, I will be curious if they what comes out from them over, over these next three weeks because something needs to happen in this break for them to get on track and, mm. and right the ship it is spiraling way too quickly and th- this just can't be another 2022 for them it can't like it can. if they don't have the <laughs> I mean, pace it, well, it, it well, definitely it can, can be it, i mean it's it's certainly a possibility but for their you know mental state going forward this this can't continue to to trend downward like it is it's it's so frustrating and and i'm not even a ferrari fan but it, it's incredibly frustrating to watch when you have a car that should be decent, when you have two very good young drivers, you can't just continue to like flush this all away.
2: And, and also, how many championships have there been where the winner wasn't dominant throughout all the season and where it was important to pick up points in the races where it wasn't quite happening? You know, at that 12 points mm-hmm. today could be crucial later. And I, I know people have like written off the season and, and handed Verstappen the trophy. There are all sorts of things that can happen. 2013, race six about four or five of the cars had the tyres completely explode at Silverstone because the mechanics had got into the the habit of switching the tyres from left to right so they could get extra use out of them. And uh, they ended up hitting the kerbs the at Silverstone and exploding, which led to a, a tyre change rule. Pirelli had to bring in a different tyre with a stiffer sidewall that had been used in the mm-hmm. last season. Changed the face of of the season. There mm-hmm. could be you know in these imola upgrades look at red bull in 2009 that looked at the double diffuser and went aha and and they were the best team in 2009 after those first six races and and you could be relying on these results now i'm not saying ferrari are going to turn around and and come up with a championship winning car at imola <laughs> but they can't get into this mindset of well we're not winning so we've, we've just got to throw everything at the wall throw caution to the wind and and suddenly right. overtaking stroll for fifth on lap 1 of a 58 lap race is worth binning it, and I just it's not what I would want as a Leclerc well wisher. Just, just mm-hmm. yeah, you know, tuck into that one, get on with the race, get the points.
1: I'm with you. Are there any other teams you want to hit on before we get into some some looking ahead at the season?
2: Uh, no, look, no, I just look, I think, um, you, this race really shows how well Red Bull have developed, what a great car they've got when they're superstar driver. Can have an off day and they can still look dominant. You have to just say hats off, uh, absolutely fantastic, well done to them. And the Aston Martin, are, uh, the Aston Martin team and pace is hanging on for the first three races, which mm-hmm. is which is more than I thought it would be. I thought it would be much more of a flash in the pan than that. So you have to say they just look like a, a mightily impressive team. Fernando Alonso has spent an awful long time not getting podiums, but you wouldn't know it. He's perfectly suited mm-hmm. to. Getting fighting for podiums, and this is three third places in a row. So you have to yep. tip your hat to them as well. I'm just saying, you know there's there's some great performances up and down the grid. Williams looked a little bit tasty as well throughout the weekend. Um, but I just my yeah. ma- my main takeaway from these first three races is it's still a very dynamic grid. I don't think you can look at uh, Bahrain and night race with a, a, a very kind of almost like point and squirt. Not very many high speed corners. A, a street race in Jeddah and a street race in Australia, and and make the conclusions that everyone is is making. You know, I think go and see what happens at Imola, Silverstone, Spa Francorchamps, mm-hmm. uh, wherever we're going this season. Hungaro Ring, go see what's going to happen at those tracks. Barcelona, see what the cars are like there. And and there's still plenty to see to fight for. This season isn't over.
1: I, th- I think at one point in the middle of the race, there were seven different teams with a driver in the top eight on the grid, which was mm-hmm. wonderful parody. I mean, I mean, granted, you're gonna have that when when Checo has a poor qualifying, when Charles is out of the race, X, Y, and Z. There are some extenuating circumstances there. But um it, it was it was really fun to watch all of those cars fight. Now it we're going into fun. a big three week it's fun. It's fun when you get, Wait. you know, different teams going up against one another. I'm it, going I'm fun. gonna say
2: it, Meg, race cars are brilliant fun to watch.
1: <laughs> I agree with you. We're going into a three-week break now. Next race up is Baku. So we'll be very curious what sort of news we get over the ensuing three weeks, what kind of car upgrades we will see, especially from McLaren who keep touting this race as the one where they're going to bring it home and really show us what they've actually been working on over all of this time. Um, We'll be very curious to see what that looks like. But in the meantime, thank you, Spanners, for joining us. Thanks, as always, to Erica Cervantes for the production help. And thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been The Ringer F1 Show. We will be back very soon.